Gabrielle Divietri. Welcome to Young, Dumb and Politically Disengaged. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. First and foremost, I wanted to congratulate you for um, not only your success following the City of Yarra's 2020 local government election, being elected as a Greens councillor, but also for your recent appointment as mayor. That must have been a really um, proud moment for you. Yes, thank you. It was. Uh, it was unexpected. I was uh, taking a leap going into local government uh, and then I was told I'd have the support um, of my colleagues as, if I nominated as mayor and uh, so I put myself forward and it was certainly not the plan but I'm um, very honoured and, um, and excited to be here. Before being elected to local government, you worked in the art sector, I think, for over a decade, and you also worked as a paralegal, providing legal services to refugees and people seeking asylum. And you've got a long history of community activism and being involved in creating uh, collaborative community projects for social change, human rights and climate change, among other issues as well. What do you hope to achieve for the Yarra community over the next four years? What would success on council look like to you between now and 2024? I thought of um, becoming involved in local government because I already saw so much amazing stuff coming from Yarra Council. Sometimes people want to get involved in, in local government because they're so um, outraged at some of the decisions being made, but it was kind of the opposite for me. Yarra Council's had many, many terms of really progressive and really um, forward-thinking councillors and, and a great, you know, council organisation. And I really thought that um, it, it, the role that I could play is to continue to push those things that were already being done really well. Um, so last year, the councillors declared a climate emergency and came up with a climate emergency plan. I think one of the big things that we have to do as we're going into this, well, we've already come out of the critical decade for climate change, um, but as we're going into this kind of post-critical decade, we really need to put the foot down on accelerating our climate emergency response. So. Um, not only transitioning all of council uh, services to be zero carbon, but also uh, facilitate that within the community as well. So I think you can only do that with a really dedicated, really deliberate uh, leadership. And I think that's the kind of leadership that, uh, especially having elected five Greens on council, um, that we'll see this term. And then our climate re emergency response is something that touches all sectors and all departments. Um, so, you know, it's about getting our planning department uh, fortified with the tools and the mechanisms that they need to enforce zero carbon standards on all new developments. It's about making sure that when we resurface roads, 
we implement bike lane changes as well so that we're not just making roads for cars, we're making roads for pedestrians and cyclists and micro-mobility. Um, so there's, it, it kind of it touches every area. And when you say council's just roads, rates and rubbish, to some extent that's true, but within those three R's, there's just this kind of um, jungle of possibilities for, for things that, that uh, can be changed and shifted. And, and actually it's quite exciting. <laughs> Local government is really the most accessible form of government. It's the one that's closest to the community, um, that your councillors and mayor are very accessible and, and the council meetings, they're kind of like a mini parliament, but they're also not because people can come in Yarra and ask a question, make a submission to any item to be heard and listened to directly by the people who are making decisions. And so if there is anything in your local area that you um, would like to see change or happen or that you're not happy with or that you're really happy with. We also like to hear from people who are happy with things. Um, then please do get in contact with, with you know, your, your uh, local council, whether they're Yarra or, or somewhere else. Um, they're, they're, they're there to listen to you and I'm sure they'd be happy to hear from you. The toxic treatment of women in politics has been front and centre over the past few months following a string of allegations of rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment and misconduct, sexism, misogyny and now alleged gender-based unfair dismissal and bullying and defamation as we've seen in relation to Christine Holgate, the former CEO of Australia Post. In your view, is there an endemic culture of toxic masculinity in politics as a newly elected female politician, what's your experience been like so far? And what's your advice to other women? Why should women, especially young women or LBQ plus women, culturally diverse women, why should they run for public office? Yeah, it's a really good question. And absolutely, I think there is a kind of endemic toxic masculinity um, that oppresses women and men uh, as well, that oppresses all of us really. Um, and it's not just in politics, but it's in um, it's kind of you know pervasive in our society and all in all workplaces and and in, and um, and outside the workplace as well. Um, obviously, the things coming out of um, out of federal politics at the moment are just sickening, and it's just so disappointing that in 2021, um, women are still struggling to be heard and to be believed. Um, I, I think that there's a report that's come out about about um, the same kind of issues in local government. I, I'd have to check what that title is, but but it, it shows that that problem is just as prevalent in local government as it is in, in other sectors. Um, and I think that being a woman at any uh, level of government is really difficult for those reasons. Um, but I also think that that's why it is so important that we put ourselves forward because um, I was only moved to see myself in that position, in a, in a potential position of leadership because of the women that came before me, because of seeing how fierce and seemingly fearless and, um, and inspiring 
other women are in leadership and so that is what really um, spurred me on and so I think that that I have a role uh, in hopefully being able to do that for women women after me and to tread this path so well that it becomes easier and easier for uh, for, for women for for queer women for um, you know um, for people who see themselves in in what I represent to be able to um, to see themselves in a position of leadership but it is really hard for women who occupy other um, intersectional identities women uh, who are different from you know different cultural and linguistic backgrounds um, trans women queer women um, uh, in women who experience some kind of other marginalisation or disadvantage, uh, single women, women like sing, single um, single parents who are women, like it's just especially at a local government level, and because the the remuneration is just so disparate to the amount of work that needs to be done, it actually is prohibitive for people who are not, uh, you know, who don't own their own homes, who are not. Um, you know, secure and comfortable in their domestic and financial lives. And so I think that really needs to change to actually support the shift in representation that um, the state government is saying that they want to see in local government. On Monday, it was Lesbian Visibility Day and you were one of the political guests for a Facebook Live Q&A video, a Zoom panel discussion for the Victorian Pride Lobby, talking about LEQ plus women in, in political office and what lesbian visibility means to you. Um, and yeah, I watched that, it was really interesting. And I think you spoke really bravely about who you are and sharing your story, your personal journey as a queer woman in leadership. And you spoke about being really proud to stand for and celebrate the fluidity of sexuality and gender. Yarra City Council has a long history of promoting equal rights for its LGBTQIA plus community. It's, it's a really vibrant and inclusive part of Melbourne. Um, and you, you mentioned in the, on the panel, um, and I, I researched afterwards in the old council plan, over 5% of Yarra's families are same-sex couples, which is significantly higher than the state figure of just 1%. Um, so it's a, it's a big part of the community in Yarra. I'd love to hear more about your contribution to Yarra's queer community and how you plan to drive change in, in that space. You would have heard that as one of our very first actions, we um, we approved, we, we endorsed, we, we launched our new LGBTIQ plus strategy. Uh, and as a, as a kind of group of relatively young uh, new councillors, we, we worked very quickly to try to strengthen and fortify that, that plan in, in ways that we saw that there might have been gaps or, or weaknesses in it. So we've launched that plan and we wanted to do it quickly because we wanted to, to be able to trigger those, those first actions that were, in the, that were in the action plan with the strategy. And I think one of the most important things that, um, that we did was just bring forward um, the establishment of an LGBTIQ plus advisory committee. Um, because without that constant connection with the, uh, with the LGBTIQ plus community, 
um, we can, you know, we can only rely on ourselves to think uh, think through what the problems and the and the solutions and the and the needs are of that community. I think it's easy to feel like when we tick off really big milestones like marriage equality or you know 40 years ago decriminalization of homosexuality that we're as a society making those advances that we need to make but in the everyday I still feel like and I still witness the need for a huge amount of uh, learning and transformation of our attitudes as a society towards um, um, members of the queer community and especially members of the trans community. We've had a few um, incidents here in the city of Yarra where, you know, people in the trans community have reported not feeling safe and valued. Um, and I think that as a, as a leader in local government, councillors and especially the mayor have a really important role in being able to facilitate those conversations to set the scene and to set the um, the attitudes that we want to see reflected in our community. So, um, you know, there are kind of actions that we can do to uh, to accredit our own services and to make sure that our own services are operating to that high standard where it's uh, it's understood and it's um, a kind of there's just a, a really high default level of um, understanding that trans and and LGBTIQ people are um, valued, safe, uh, and welcome. Um, but then also, it's about making sure that that um, is part of all of our businesses, all of our public spaces, uh, and part of our our day to day conversations that we um, that we respect and value uh, people who are gender diverse and for, and of different sexualities. sort of touched on this earlier but specifically um, last week PM Scott Morrison faced criticism after addressing a virtual climate summit convened by US President Joe Biden when he failed to commit to more ambitious emission targets or set clear climate goals for Australia which was really at odds with the approach of many of the other world leaders who were taking part in that and committed to um to different targets themselves. The city of Yarra has been a pioneer for environmental sustainability, like you were saying, and Yarra was one of the first local governments in the world to declare a climate emergency, which I thought was really interesting and, and really cool. Um, acknowledging both the scale and urgency of action needed to avoid the impacts of global warming, as well as also being the first Victorian council to be certified as carbon neutral back in 2012. As a councillor and mayor, you've pledged to work towards a number of initiatives to support meaningful climate action, including zero waste to landfill. Spoke a bit about it before, um, but with the release of Yarra's draft budget for 2021-22 and then now developing the new council plan for 21 to 25, what sustainable initiatives or climate action steps are being considered for that trajectory for the next um, next four years? Great question and, and thank you for the opportunity to answer it. Um, it's a four-year plan which is the council plan but we're also developing a 15-year community vision. Yeah as you say there's there are these 
targets that we have of um, of zero emissions, zero carbon emissions by 2030 and, and zero waste to landfill as well. Um, one of the conversations that I have a lot with people who are very connected in with that plan and, and what I have realised as um, I've been digging into that plan and trying to draw out initiatives that we can accelerate um, is is actually that, that it, we have a target but we don't and we have some actions for the first few years but we don't have a really clear transition plan. So that's one of the things that I'd really like to see um, as part of our council plan that we develop a really clear transition plan and with that, that means that we're going to have to be really methodical about how we track our emissions and and the emissions from the community as well which is a huge task it's really difficult I can understand why you know in the first instance getting a climate emergency plan out and a target is really important um, but I think that being able to actually um, measure what we're doing is really really important and and set year by year targets so some of the things that we've um, put in our draft budget which is about like it's on community consultation right now um it that all together it's about three million dollars dedicated specifically to um, climate and emergency um, actions and and a local transition towards renewable energy so um one of the really exciting things is that we're going to be transitioning our um, council facilities and especially our swimming pools off gas while we are carbon neutral, we do still use gas in our um, in our facilities, and we use gas to heat our swimming pools, which produces a huge amount of carbon um, emissions every year. And I think that it's really that important next step for us to face up to that and make that critical conversion because gas is not a, a transition fuel; it's a dirty fuel, it's a fossil fuel, and we need to get off it. Um, so we're going to be um, doing that. Um, we've got a really um, great package of support for businesses and vulnerable communities to respond to the climate emergency um, and community grants for our local climate action initiatives. One of the kind of more boring but really important things in climate action, which I touched on before, is, um, is developing a zero carbon buildings planning scheme amendment. That sounds really, really dry, but what it is, is um, for everything that's in our planning scheme that controls how we can approve or reject building applications, that's the state government that sets those parameters. And so if we have something in that legislation that says um, you can mandate that all new buildings are zero carbon buildings, then that will give us the mechanism that we need to be able to enforce that. Because other, because other than that, it's really just a, a voluntary thing. It's a, a suggestion from us, and they don't have to, they don't have to do it. So um, that's something that it, it takes a huge amount of like work and negotiation to actually implement that. We're continuing our transition to um, electric vehicles. Our passenger fleet is all electric. Our councillors and mayor, um, there's no more uh, mayoral limousine anymore. We have electric bikes offered to councillors to get around um, and we're continuing our transition of our, um, our trucks and our tippers and our uh, kind of service and maintenance equipment that we need from um, fossil fuel powered to 
electric and of course all of our electricity is is um renewable electricity we're installing solar panels on eight of our community facilities we're improving the energy efficiency of our gyms and our leisure centers and yeah we're transitioning from diesel and petrol um vehicles to cleaner greener alternatives so that's that's a kind of handful of, of some of the initiatives and then there's there's also complementary initiatives which are about um, green space we've got over five million dollars in creating new and improved um, open green spaces and a huge amount of um, investment 3.5 million in improving our bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure we're launching photo we, we did the trial um, in Abbotsford uh, in 2019 and that's uh, the trial that really exemplified a new kind of waste system that the state government is now um, implementing across the state by 2030 so all councillors will have to move to a four stream waste system Um, so we have that happening in Abbotsford but now the rest of the community in Yarra will be transitioning to a four bin waste system as of the next financial year. Our national COVID-19 vaccination rollout has been, um, it started, but it's been plagued by problems ranging from delays in international supply, local production and delivery of vaccines, both to and within Australia, with the latest setback seeing the entire program really thrown into chaos when um, it was announced that the AstraZeneca vaccine is no longer recommended for people under 50. So far, I think we'll probably reach 2 million doses today if we haven't already, meaning that at that pace, we won't reach the full 40 million doses needed to vaccinate the adult population until mid-2023, which is two years away. Many vulnerable Australians are frustrated that they're still yet to be vaccinated despite being in priority groups. And you may have have read about um, Margaret Ruff and her adult son Raymond, um, who has a severe physical and, and intellectual disability, lives in a disability care home in North Fitzroy, which is in Yarra's local government area, with four other residents and their carers. But Margaret says no one there at all, staff or residents, have been vaccinated. And she said, quote, what country gives their politicians injections when people with a disability and the staff looking after them still haven't had them? The health department have said that vaccinations in the disability sector are set to ramp up this week. What message do you have for your constituents, Margaret and Raymond, and just how has the federal government's mismanaged rollout impacted the local Yarra community from what you've seen? It's an interesting question. I, I, um, I think that our COVID response here, whenever I speak with our you know, community services sector, our COVID response is um, less around vaccinations and more around uh, what's happening on the ground. So it's really interesting to, to bring that perspective in. Um, and, you know, I know that the, the, um, the issues with the rollout of the vaccine do disproportionately affect those people who are who are already vulnerable and um and you know it's really important that it it 
that those people receive the protection that they need as quickly as possible. Uh, from a council perspective um, and, and the services that we intersect with, like our neighbourhood houses and our food security systems and our libraries, um, our emergency services department, um, on the ground, there is just um, so much work being done still today. And the way that they jumped into action during the peak of the crisis last year was incredible. Um, there were so many moments where Yarra could have been uh, affected by a hard lockdown like what had happened in, in North Melbourne. But, um, but, but our services coordinated together and, and supported the communities that needed it most really, really quickly and, and really well. And that support has not gone away. And so I think that, um, that if uh, people like Margaret and her son um, are able to reach out to council or have contact with council for them to lean on, on us and our, and our wellbeing team and our, secu- and our um, social team to, to provide any services that may be lacking while they're um, waiting for a vaccine or if they need that support in an ongoing way. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that they're able to get that um, their vaccination really soon and, and get the protection that they need. Gabrielle DiVietri, thank you so much for being on the show and taking the time to chat with me. Your insights have been really valuable and I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're very, very well researched. I'm, I'm really impressed. It's, um, yeah, it takes a lot of research to kind of pick out those important things and I appreciate the questions that you chose. 